Would you pray with me for me and us all? Father in heaven, thank you for this wonderful story that we can look at in more detail over the next month. Pray, Lord, that you might empower me to preach your word with faithfulness, love, and to preach the truth clearly and with conviction. Lord, we pray by your spirit you'd open our eyes to its truth, its many facets, that you might help us to see you and help us to see how you want us to respond in uh, this true story. And so, Lord, please do a great work of your spirit by your grace in all of our lives. Amen. I think on our bad days, many of us have asked, where is God? When we go through suffering or loss, we can wonder, does God care? Or why is this happening, we might ask. Or God, why did you do this? Why did you allow this? When we face poverty, loss, grief, we can ask, is God in control? And is he really at work for the good of his people? These are questions that Naomi faced in the book of Ruth and they're real questions that we grapple with sometimes too. Many would say that Ruth is one of the best short stories ever written. It's a bit like a once upon a time story with a happily ever after ending, but true. Ruth and Boaz, they inspire us, I I think, and they also point us to the Lord who is at work. Ruth is a story of poverty and plenty story of God's provision and sovereignty. One pastor and writer, Tim Chester, says in his Bible study guide, I recommend, he says, in this story, the hidden hand of God is at work in the lives of these utterly ordinary people. God transforms hardship from bitterness to joy. God's word liberates people to become a community filled with loving kindness towards outcasts. God's people reach out to their enemies. Men and women in troubled and chaotic times choose to do good and act right. But bigger than all these, we see God's great plan for the whole world being played out in the lives of these ordinary people. We discover that these ordinary events in the lives of ordinary people are part of a chain that ends with the coming of the promised Saviour King to redeem people from all nations. Ruth gives us a beautiful picture of Jesus, our Redeemer, and the unimaginable difference he makes to people who've been saved by him. So I hope you're excited. But let's rewind back to the start of the story and consider the context. Verse 1 says that this book is set during the time of the judges. And in our Bibles, Ruth follows straight on after judges. These judges are not people in robes in a court of law, No, they're more like military leaders who God raised up to save his people and judge or punish their enemies. It was a time when the Israelites kept repeatedly turning away from God, sinning and worshipping idols. And look at how the book of Judges finished. Chapter 21, verse 25, In those days there was no king in Israel, and everyone did whatever seemed right to him. People did whatever they wanted not what God wanted or what he commanded. And in this time of idolatry and depravity and violence, the the book of Ruth shines. 
So we come to our first point, poverty. Ruth 1 verse 1 says there was a famine in the land. Now Deuteronomy 28 made clear that when Israel entered the promised land, famines would come as a punishment for disobeying and ignoring God. But if they repented, as the book of Judges has shown repeatedly over and over, if they repent, the Lord relents and shows mercy. And so there's a famine. We don't know whether it's from drought or plague, but it means there's no crops, no food. People are starving. And one man from the clan of Ephrathah decides to leave Bethlehem in Judah with his wife and two sons and go live in Moab. Ironically, the word Bethlehem means house of bread. It's not so at the moment. Now, Deuteronomy 23 makes clear that Moab was Israel's enemy. Moving to Moab, modern-day Jordan, was not explicitly forbidden in God's word, but it wasn't part of the promised land and where God had told his people to live. It also ignores the warnings from God about the other nations leading them into idolatry. So it is unwise, to say the least. And it potentially reveals a failure of Elimelech to trust the Lord to provide for his family in the land God gave them. This is likely an example of Elimelech doing right in his own eyes. His name means, my God is king. But he's not living that way now, following God's word. And if his goal was to escape death, well, that plan fails, doesn't it? The meanings of people's names in the book are significant. Uh, Elimelech and Naomi's sons, their names mean sick and pining or failing. So they're negative names. They reflect the emotions and circumstances of the family. The name Naomi means pleasant or, or sweet. But she's not experiencing that at all, is she? Especially when, to add to her poverty, she loses her husband. Verse 3. Her sons then marry Moabite women, which again, I think is an unwise decision. It opens them up to idol worship of the Moabites. Still, we'll see how God can be at work in this. Ruth's name means friendship. That's interesting when you think about what is to come, friendship. She marries Marlon, Orpah marries Kilion, and both couples remain childless for 10 years. And then Marlon and Kilion, they both die, and Naomi is left in a horrible, poverty-stricken, grief-filled, vulnerable situation. No husbands, no sons, no grandchildren, and in a male-dominated society, that is hard. Naomi would have felt helpless and powerless. She would have felt alone and abandoned in a foreign land, I'm sure. And I ask, are all, the, all of these events, the famine and one loss, one death upon another, is all this just bad luck? Or is it fate? No. Is God, is what's happening, is it God's will? Even God's discipline for their choices, possibly. But more than that, is it something that God will use for good? Will the Lord use this to bring Naomi back to himself? We're left wondering at this point. 
And so we come to point two and the return to the land. Verse six, Naomi and her daughters-in-law set out on this 80K journey back from Moab to Bethlehem. And here the Lord's name is used for the first time. And notice that's the personal name for God, Yahweh, capitals, L-O-R-D, that his name is used. So when you read that, think the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God who appeared to Moses, who took his people, freed his people from slavery in Egypt, brought them into, gave them the promised land. This God, their God, now pays attention or visits his people. The Lord saw their need and provided them with food. So food took Naomi away. And now food brings her back. It should be a reminder to us that the Lord gives us the food that we have too. I wonder, do you remember that and thank him for it? Not just out of habits, the same old words before every meal. Do you mean it? The word return is used repeatedly in this chapter. Verse 6, Naomi set out to return from Moab and back to, literally it's the word, returning to Judah. This prompts Naomi to tell her daughters-in-law to return to your mother's home, verse 8. She repeats that instruction, verse 11, verse 12. And Naomi sends them off with this prayer that the Lord will show you kindness as you have shown to me and my boys. This word kindness is also an important and repeated word in Ruth. It's a Hebrew word, kesed. It has a range of meanings in English. It can mean covenant faithfulness or compassion, goodness, loving kindness. In Exodus 34, it's translated as God's faithful love. Underlined there, the Lord is a compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in faithful love and truth, maintaining faithful love to a thousand generations, forgiving iniquity, rebellion, sin. And this faithful love, this loving kindness always comes from the Lord to people in need. And we'll think about how that's shown to us in our need when we come to the Lord's Supper shortly. In Ruth, we will see God showing this loving kindness to others. We see it God, God showing it through other people, from people to people, and we are to show this kindness too. We'll see that in this story. But coming back to verse 9, Naomi says to Ruth and Orpah, May the Lord give you both rest in the house of a new husband. Keep that thought in your memory as we journey through Ruth. And then we have this heart-moving scene with three women crying loudly by the side of the road as Naomi is kissing them goodbye. And they, the young women insist on returning with Naomi to her homeland and she says, No, for to return with me is doom. Why would you want to do that? I don't have sons you could marry. I'm too old to get another husband. And if I got one, it'd be many years before the boys grew up and eventually you could marry them. Remember that in that culture, to be a single woman was hard and it was dangerous. The protection and the provision of a husband was important and it was valued. 
Naomi virtually says in verse 13, I'm cursed. You're better off without me. You're better off away from me. She says, my life is much too bitter for you to share because the Lord's hand has turned against me. God is against me. We'll come back to God's involvement in her circumstances soon. But for now, Orpah and Ruth, they have a crucial decision to make. Will they return home to their families, their families' gods? Verse 15. Sadly, Naomi encourages that. Orpah, true to her name, she turns her neck. She heads home. A reasonable choice, isn't it? But Ruth clung to her. The word clung is from an old English word to cleave. It's actually the same word used in Genesis 22, 24 about a husband being united to his wife. As a husband and wife leave their families and cling to, cleave to, stick to one another, Ruth here is leaving and cleaving. Which brings us to point three in turning to the Lord. So Naomi is repeatedly told Ruth, she tells her repeatedly again in verse 15 twice to return to her people. And Ruth responds with these profound words of the strongest possible commitment. Don't plead with me to abandon you or to return and not follow you. For wherever you go, I will go. Wherever you live, I will live. Your people will be my people and your God will be my God. Where you die, I will die and there I'll be buried. And may the Lord punish me and do so severely if anything but death separates you and me. Ruth binds herself and her future to Naomi here. I will not return to my people and my family's gods. I will go with you and live with you. Your God will be my God. And this is my solemn vow and promise until death parts us. Sort of what she's saying. So serious, like marriage promises, like baptism or profession of faith promises, all rolled into one. It's full on. It's moving. And what a, what a loyal and gracious courageous and devoted woman Ruth is. The structure of this poem actually forms a chiastic structure. It's a type of Hebrew poetry. I've tried to reflect it there in the formatting on the screen. So you've got different sentences in the Hebrew poem that parallel each other and where there's sort of topics that match up, but it leads to this sort of arrow formation where the key words are in the center and I've underlined them. The center is, the most important bit is, your people will be my people, and your God, Yahweh, will be my God. Ruth here is repenting. She is trusting in and committing herself to the Lord here, along with Naomi. And don't her words remind us of our commitment to follow the Lord Jesus? For when you trust and follow him, Jesus' people become your people. His God and Father becomes your Father. And we are to follow and stick with him until death. And I ask, have you made that commitment? And if so, I want you to reflect on it for a moment. Reflect on it. What what events led up to that moment for you? Your choice to follow Jesus. Your turning to the Lord. 
What led you to turn to Jesus? May Ruth's commitments help us to look to Jesus and follow him as Lord and remember those promises we made. Maybe for you it was at your baptism or your profession of faith, however many years ago. Her promises and our promises to our God are huge. And I ask you, are you willing to follow the Lord Jesus where he leads you, to do what he says, to stick with him until death and never turn your back on him? I hope you have or you will, hope you have or you will, cling to him in dependent trust and know that it'll be worth it. Be worth it. Ruth's speech has melted the hearts of believers down the centuries. But hard-hearted Naomi responds differently. Ruth turned to the Lord, but does Naomi? Naomi doesn't seem to take any comfort or encouragement from Ruth's commitment. She just gives up trying to tell Naomi to go back home to her family. They get back to Bethlehem. Verse 19, there's a buzz around town. Everyone's excited that Naomi's back. But she says, don't call me Naomi, call me Mara. The Lord Almighty has made me very bitter. Mara means bitter. Naomi's name, remember, it means pleasant or sweet. But in reality, she's feeling the opposite. She says, God has dealt bitterly with me. When I thought about bitter things that we swallow, this is what came to my mind, vinegar. Drinking vinegar straight is not fun. Most kids don't like Brussels sprouts. Because uh, of their bitterness, I think my mum put honey on them to help me eat them as a kid. I don't like Victoria bitter beer. A lemon, lime and bitters, though, isn't bad. Maybe that's because it doesn't have too much bitters. But bitterness is something that's unpleasant. It makes you screw your face up when you have too much. And feeling bitterness is an unhappiness, a, a resentment in your heart that can eat away at you. And Naomi is a bitter and empty old lady. It's an old man there who I thought of as well. She wants her name changed to reflect her feelings, her situation. She says in verse 21, I went away full. We actually know that isn't true. Her and her family went away because their stomachs were empty. She says, the Lord has brought me back empty, opposed me, afflicted me, hurt me. She has, has lost her husband, two children, and that would have been more horrific and painful than I know. We should not lack empathy and compassion for Naomi. And we are wondering if Naomi's return to Judah will also result in a, a return to the Lord. But at the moment, she can only see her poverty and grief and loss and she blames the sovereign God for her circumstances. Naomi doesn't turn to the Lord who is sovereign over her circumstances. She doesn't turn to him in prayerful faith, patient trust or for mercy. She has lost her husband and children, but she doesn't see in any way it seems that she has Ruth who is committed to herself, to Naomi, and to the Lord with love and devotion. 
It seems that Naomi is blind to the things she does have. I wonder if your suffering has made you blind to the things you do have. And if we don't turn to the Lord, we will never find the fullness that we long for. The Bible affirms that the Lord is sovereign over our circumstances. As Naomi truthfully says, the Lord is almighty. He's in control over all the events of our lives. Earlier this year, I read this John book, helpful, excellent, long book by John Piper called Providence. The word providence describes God's purposeful sovereignty. God governing, sustaining, providing for all things. And the word providence in the Bible is also describing how God is working all events, all events in this world and in our lives ultimately for the good of his people and the glory of his name, as Ephesians 1 tells us. So God is in control and yes, he brings the famine, the famines and the rains. The Lord is sovereign over life and death. Deuteronomy 32 says, God says, there is no God besides me. I kill and I make alive. I wound and I heal and there is none that can deliver out of my hands. And Piper puts it this way. God is the author of every life, sovereign over every disability, the agent of every deliverance from death, the one who decides the length of every lifetime and the moment of every death. And so Naomi can point to God as the ultimate cause of the hard things in her life. She can. And yet, we also remain responsible for our choices. God never does evil. He never sins. Still, the Lord plans to permit hard things, bad things to come into our lives, but always with a good purpose. Romans 8 affirms. And we'll see God's good purposes working out in the lives of Ruth and Naomi as this story continues. But this topic is big. And if you're struggling with this or you have questions about this, please come and talk after. But consider your own life and where we started. I asked if you've ever wondered what God was doing. Did he care? about the things that were happening to you. When you you grieve the loss of a, a loved one or in your hardship, will you, with a heart full of bitterness, just blame God or will you trust him too? In the hard things that we go through, God's purposes are often hidden and the Lord wants us to patiently trust him and to pray for help and not spout out grumbling that arises from bitterness. Ephesians 4 verse 31 says, get rid of all bitterness. I'm not saying that we can't be honest with others. And the Lord does want us to pour out our hearts to him honestly in prayer. But the Lord also wants us to patiently trust him, that he has good purposes. Remember we looked six weeks ago at Romans chapter 5, And remember how the Lord plans to use suffering for our good. The Lord wants to grow our endurance. 
and our Christ-like tested character that, that develops in those hard times. He wants to grow our hope. Hope of heaven. And I acknowledge that when one bad thing piles on another, it is so hard to see the encouragements, the things we can still be thankful for. It's hard to see and believe that God is at work for our good when we can't see how. We don't often see how, not in the moment. But should we turn to the Lord in prayer? Should we trust the Lord is with us and at work? Should we turn from sin and back to the Lord, repenting wherever we need to? And can God use this to grow our faith and grow our godliness and grow our hope and use it for good and for his glory? Yes. Yes, 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 yes. September 2013, after a Sunday church service, two suicide bombers detonated their bombs as worshippers were leaving All Saints Church in Peshawar, Pakistan. 139 people were killed and dozens more were injured. A professor I know at the seminary, the open theological seminary nearby, he lost many friends that day. One of them was Naeem, pictured there, Naeem Nazir. He was killed along with his wife and his daughter. Only his 15-year-old son, Shalom, survived. And with amazing strong faith, this 15-year-old said this after the bombing, although I have lost my father and my mother, I know God is always with me and he will never leave me or forsake me. He responded differently to Naomi. I hope his great faith encourages ours when we experience great grief and loss. If you're struggling with grief or loss, or when you do, instead of holding on to bitterness, I encourage you to remember and consider Jesus and what he suffered for us. Remember, Naomi said, I've come back empty. It's in that moment when we feel that we need to remind ourselves that Christ emptied himself so we could be filled. Philippians 2. He drank the bitter cup of God's wrath and judgment unto death so we not would not, so we could taste life and have a sure hope of eternal life and joy with God. He got what was really bitter so we... Would not. So look to the cross, turn your eyes to Jesus, and remember that He is with you now, Christian. And as Hebrews chapter 4 says, He sympathizes with us in our suffering. So in your grief, turn to Him. As Hebrews 4 says, for help and mercy and grace to help you in your time of need. Turn to Him. If you're getting bitter, return to the Lord. Believe that the Lord has your good in mind. Or maybe God wants you to gently, wisely remind a brother or sister of this, of God's presence, of God's promises, with lots of listening and then speaking the truth in love. We all need that sometimes. 
I recently ran some training for our deacons, our growth group leaders and others who, to further equip people to use the word of God to encourage suffering people. If you'd like to be better equipped to visit and give pastoral care to others, let me know. Naomi could see nothing more than her suffering and loss. In that moment, yes, it's understandable. But there was more. And the other women at Bethlehem, I hope they did. We don't know. I hope they did listen lots and then graciously remind her, help her to see that. God wants to use us to point others to the Lord in love. And so is there someone that God wants you to encourage? As I conclude, in Ruth chapter 1, Naomi couldn't see the kindness of God in Ruth's conversion and presence and support. And maybe you fail to see the good when you're going without. God is sovereign over our circumstances. He is working out his good purposes, even when we can't see what that is. So in your grief and your loss and your difficulties, turn to and trust the Lord who rules. Let's pray. Father God, we do praise you. You're in control of all things. And we don't often understand why you do what you do and why you plan to permit the things you do. So Lord, please give us strong faith in the midst of great grief and loss when that comes. We pray to especially comfort those who grieve at the moment. We pray to help us to love one another well in our listening and our words and our presence. And Lord God, we pray that you might help us to stay committed to our Lord Jesus, following him until death, because our Saviour is good, kind, loving, and he's worthy of our loyalty. Thank you, Lord Jesus, you drank the bitter cup that was reserved for me. And Lord, we pray that you might grow our faith and help us to remain steadfast and endure for the glory of you, our great God. Amen.